Let's get a Bible this morning. We're going to start something exciting today, an exciting journey in the book of First Timothy, the letter of First Timothy. Um, and if you've never thought about beginning a book of the Bible and the Word of God as, a, as an exciting journey, I want to encourage you, start thinking that way. <laughs> it makes it so much better. And it's true. So we're going to be beginning First Timothy. As you're turning there, many of you may be familiar with um, some of its legend, some of it may be historical fact, but you might be familiar with several thousands of years ago, there was what was called the Greco-Trojan War, where the nation of Greece was against Trojans in a single city called Troy. And the legend goes that this city was so well defended that it fought off and kept at bay the entire Greek army, a huge army, kept them away for 10 years. And then overnight, something happened. You know what happened? They put their confidence in the wrong thing. Because the Greeks decided to switch up their strategy. And their strategy changed to, well, let's pretend like we're going to call this whole thing off. We're going to go retreat. We're going to pretend like we're going to go to this island. But we're not. What we're going to do instead is we're actually going to give them a gift. And we're going to give a gift to the goddess of war that, this city, that the city of Troy worshipped, Athena. And we all know what, and those of us who've heard the story know what this gift is. It was a giant wooden hollow horse. A tro the Trojan horse. Well, so they roll this huge thing up to the gate and say, this is a gift for your goddess. And, they, and the Greek army disappears. They supposedly sail to a nearby island and are gone. It waits outside. The Trojans open the gates, go out and get this horse, wheel it in, thinking, it is a, thinking and having confidence that it is an actual gift for their goddess. Well, nightfall comes. The horse may be hollow, but it's not empty. Several Greek soldiers have been placed in this and have barely breathed for 12 hours. And they crawl out and they go to the gate. They kill all the sentries at the gate and they open the gate and the Greek army waltzes right in and takes the city. Guess what? That happens every single day in this world, in the realm of ideas, in the realm of media, in the realm of just our own internal workings. Where we see something on the outside that looks great, 
that looks like it'll, it'll worship and fuel the fire that we need it to fuel. And so we bring it on inside, and then we're sacked from the inside. And for the church, we're not immune to this either. There are lots of ideas out in, in <laughs> Christian subculture or just the world at large that we could say pass a doctrinal smell test, if you will, as some have said. And so we think, that's a great idea. Let's bring it on in. And when we do, we've exchanged our confidence in God for a false confidence. As we look at the letter of 1 Timothy, Paul has sent, Paul the Apostle has sent a young Timothy as a pastor to the church in Ephesus. And there are a whole host of issues that the church in Ephesus are, is dealing with. And let's face it, every church is, has, has its issues. The question for Timothy, the question for you and I this morning and as we go through this series is, where is our confidence going to be? Where should our confidence be? Should, we, should it be in, in the horse gift that's outside that's wheeled in and destroys us? Should it be in our own wisdom and insight and understanding of things? Where should our confidence be? Well, this passage is pretty clear, hopefully, and you'll hopefully see that, is that God's truth, God's truth is the believer's confidence. So let's look at this in 1 Timothy. Hopefully you have that. If you would, please stand as we honor God in his word this morning. 1 Timothy chapter 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by command of God our Savior and of Christ Jesus our hope. To Timothy, my true child in the faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. You have a seat. And you may be thinking, okay, so when are we going to read the letter? <laughs> we just read the greeting. He just said hello. Why do we why you had to stand up so we so he could say hello? Hold on. Hang in there. The Apostle Paul wrote to Timothy in his second letter. He said, all Scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable. Okay? And that includes this greeting. And in fact, this is the case for all of Paul's letters, is that the greeting helps us interpret everything that he's going to say through the rest of his letter. So he says some very key things in here about God's truth being the believer's confidence that will help us as we go through this letter. Timothy is going to be navigating some challenging waters, and we as a church, we navigate waters as well. And from the get-go, Timothy needs to have his confidence in the right place. 
And for us in this new year as a church, we need to have our confidence in the right place, in God's truth. So that's where Paul begins, with God's truth. So here's here's a question for us this morning. Why should we be confident in God's truth? Isn't truth the same all over? Isn't your truth and my truth and their truth, isn't it all the same? No, no, it's not. <laughs> and actually, our society is getting disillusioned with that lie and is actually, actually butting heads about that. Truths are coming into conflict because there's only one reality and you can't live outside that reality. So why should we be confident in God's truth? Well, first, <laughs> the truth comes from God himself. This truth is God's truth. So if the truth comes from God himself, what we need to know is, who is God? And what does this greeting tell us about who God is? Well, first it tells us that he is the one who gives us his word. Paul an apostle of Christ Jesus by command of God. Now you're thinking, wait, 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 wait. He said Paul. He didn't say, God's writing this letter to you. He says, Paul's writing this letter to you. Well, let's, make, let's get some things understood here. And you may know these already. Is that it's who Paul is that tells us that it's God giving Timothy, giving us his word, giving this letter. Look what it says. It says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by command of God. Denton shared a little bit earlier this morning of who Paul was before Jesus showed up with a two-by-four and knocked him off his horse. He was a persecutor of the church. He killed Christians, approved the killing of Christians. And then God said, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And then he told a man named Ananias to go to him and say, He is a chosen instrument of mine to bring faith and light to the Gentiles. It says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus. Now, there are a couple ways that Scripture uses the term apostle. What he means here is, and I'll quote from a a commentary I read, means a couple things, that this guy had four qualifications that made him an an apostle that we can verify that this is God's word. Four things. One, he's directly appointed by Jesus Christ and empowered and authorized by him. Second, he's an eyewitness of the resurrected Christ. Paul saw Jesus. Third, he's a foundation stone of the church along with the prophets as a bearer of the gospel and of God's revelation. And fourth, because of that, he's first in leadership and authority in the church along with the other apostles. We call them the twelve. So he has, and he says it here, an apostle of Christ Jesus not of his own volition, by command of God, by charge of God, by commissioning of God. That means he has the authority to say all that he's going to say, and not just his own authority, but God's authority. That means we can trust it as God's word. And this brings to us 
what we call, the kind of fancy term, the doctrine of inspiration. You guys are familiar with that? It's where we get a Bible, 66 books, written by 40, over 40 different authors. And yet we call it God's Word. Why? Because God, in His divine plan, used human authors to communicate exactly what he wanted communicated to the world. One of my seminary professors says that inspiration is that concurrent work of a holy God and a fallen human, whereby the Holy Spirit so moved the human author that God got exactly what he wanted, his perfect word and inerrant word, without compromising or destroying the personality of the human author. So this is Paul writing. But at the same time, it's not Paul writing. This is God speaking to us. He is the one who gives his word. So who is God? He's the one who gives us his word. Secondly, and these ones are much more clear, he is the one who is our Savior. It's not by the apostle of Christ Jesus, by command of God, our Savior. This is key to understanding what's going to be coming because this doesn't come from a place of, the rest of this letter doesn't come from a place of God wanting to add rule upon rule, line upon line, precept upon precept to burden us and weigh us down. He gives this to us because he's our Savior. He, wants, he is rescuing. He is our Savior. That means that we need rescue from something. What is it? Scripture makes it clear. It's rescue from sin. It's rescue from ourselves apart from God. And actually, if, if the Apostle Paul hadn't been rescued by Christ, if God wasn't his Savior, he would not be writing this kind of thing. We would never have heard this kind of stuff. We would never have been taught this. He is the one who is our Savior, who rescues us from falsehood, which is what sin is, and brings us to the truth. And thirdly, he's not only our Savior, he's our hope. Because he says, by command of God, our Savior, and of Christ Jesus, our hope, they're equal. They're both God. And of Christ Jesus, our hope. Now, in our day, we have to sort through a little bit of language here because how many of you guys use the word hope in a very certain sense? Like farmers will, will say this spring, I hope there's a good amount of snow or I hope that there's a lot of rain to get things going. Or I hope the store gets all, all set up just the way and with all the schedule and stuff, Right? We hope for a lot of things, but, the, but another way to say that is, I wish these things would be in, be in place. That's not what this text is saying. When it says Christ Jesus, our hope, it means our certainty. It means we can bank our everything on him. Our past, our present, and our future. 
Because he is the one who was, who is, and who is to come. Christ Jesus is our hope. And if he's our hope, that changes how we live today. And that will change how we see the rest of what Paul is going to say in this letter. Because it's not just, this stuff is not just given for the present moment. It's given because Christ is our hope. He's our confident expectation. He's our hope even more than we have hope and confidence, confidence that the floor underneath us isn't just going to give out. Even though we know scientifically that it is mostly either a cloud of electrons or empty space. Christ Jesus is a greater hope than that for us. So who is God? He is the one who gives us his word. He is the one who is our savior and he is the one who is our confident hope. Now some of what we're going to cover in this book, in this letter, might be difficult to swallow. We're going to cover some potentially hot topics about living as the body of Christ. So right from the get-go, Timothy needs to hear it, and we need to hear it too, that this truth comes from God himself and that Paul has the authority to say it. And so our prayer should be, as we're in this letter, that we would live and say what we believe, that God is our Savior, that Christ Jesus is our hope, and that he has given us his authoritative word, and that we would submit confidently to God's truth in this letter. So the truth comes from God himself. God's truth is the believer's confidence. But I want to emphasize one word in that. Believer. God's truth is the believer's confidence. Because Paul's not writing to somebody who has no idea of who God is. Paul is writing to someone he's taken under his wing who knows Christ Jesus, who believes that Christ died on the cross, who rose again on the third day according to the Scriptures. And this believer and all of us who profess faith in Jesus Christ need to be reminded of something pretty regularly. And that's where Paul goes next in his greeting. We should be confident in the truth because secondly, the truth reaffirms our identity. Because what does he say in verse 2? Paul, this is if he signs his name, and then he says, To Timothy, my true child in the faith. What's our identity, church? What's our identity as believers? Well, there are two things that this, pa- this passage shows us. One is that we are spiritual children of those who have come before us in the faith. Because he says, to Timothy, my true child. Now, Paul wasn't Timothy's father. Timothy came from a town called Lystra and was considered a half-breed 
His mother was a Jew and his father was a Greek. And so he didn't fit in anywhere. So for Paul to say, Timothy, my true child, that was to be a huge encouragement because that meant that his relationship with the people of God superseded all the failings and fallouts of his, phys- of his physical makeup, his physical relationships. Now, it's not clear if Paul was the one that God used in, in Timothy's conversion or if, it was his mother, or if it was his mother Eunice and his grandmother Lois. But what we do see is that Timothy was taken by the Apostle Paul in the sense of brought under the wing. Hey, I see you're growing in the faith. Let's walk together. And that's what discipleship is. Discipleship could be considered a spiritual parenting of sorts, where what happens? A, more, a spiritually more mature person in the faith passes on what they have been taught by the Lord to someone less mature. And that's what we should be doing as a church. We're to be passing along what God has taught us from his word. And whether that's in this kind of discipleship relationship, where you're sitting under the preaching of God's word, or if that's all the way down to one-on-one relationships, where you're just sitting over, over coffee, or you're, or you're walking along a trail talking about the things of God. You guys can have true children in the faith. Do you want true children in the faith? Is that a priority for you? Paul made his aim of life. Yes, it's Paul, but he was just a man just like the rest of us. Paul made his aim in life to seek after spiritual children. And he didn't do it just so that he could be the one to say he did it. He did it so that people beyond his generation and through generation and after generation after generation after generation after generation of Christians all the way up to ours and through ours would be people who seek to be spiritual, spiritual parents and, and spiritual children. He wants that for us. That's actually why we get this letter because it's not just written to Timothy. So we are spiritual children of those who have come before. Those of us who profess faith in Christ were led to the Lord by somebody. We heard the word from somebody. And even if we were just sitting on our own reading our Bible, the church has helped with this. It has preserved this book and translated it into a language we can understand. We never come to the faith apart from the church of Christ being involved. The church of Jesus. But we're not just spiritual children of those who come before. We are also spiritual children of God through the gospel. Because he doesn't just say, to Timothy, my true spiritual child. He says, to Timothy, my true child in the what? In the faith. What's the faith? (laughs) The faith that was once for all entrusted to the saints. 
It's the good news of the gospel that says, by grace alone, through faith alone, you can be rescued from, this, from your sin and your dead spiritual state before God and condemnation in, in front of God and instead brought to new life because Jesus has already purchased life for you by sacrificing himself on the cross and has risen from the dead and is King of kings and Lord of lords forever and ever. Amen. My true child in the faith, not a dead faith, a living faith. And we need to hear that so much, church, because there's so much in our lives that says or ignores the reality that there is the faith. We have an entire society now that is built without God. And one example is you only need to look at the overwhelming majority. This is maybe kind of a silly example, but I'll challenge you, you, even you people with older kids or no kids, go watch the average kids movie today and tell me how many times you hear the name God or Jesus in it. And that's been going on since the 50s or earlier. We, are, we live in a world that tries to build itself without God, that believes that we are the end be all of our existence. So when we are changed by Jesus Christ, we need a refresher in that again and again and again. And Timothy was no exception. Your pastor is no exception. Your pastor needs to hear Again, my true child in the faith. That we need to be reminded of who we are because of what the gospel, because of the gospel of God. That who we are because God, our Father, demonstrated His love in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. We need to remember that. Otherwise, we will get off mission, which is exactly what Paul didn't want for Timothy, and he doesn't want for any of us. The truth reaffirms our identity. And God's truth is the believer's confidence. And as children of God, true spiritual children, we still have needs. I mean, all of our needs find their yes and amen in Christ, but we still have needs. And that's why Paul doesn't stop saying, to Timothy, my true child in the faith, and then starts going on into his letter. He stops, full stop, and blesses Timothy. Because we need God's truth, thirdly, because the truth is the blessing of God. Grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. You know, for many of us, having read Paul's letters before, we read, he says that over and over again, grace and peace to so-and-so. Grace and peace, grace and peace. And we read it and and we're like, okay, let's get to the other stuff. Let's move on. Let's not do that. 
Because these things are what God wants for us. He wants us to read and heed these words of blessing that he gives us. So what does God want for Timothy? What does God want for us? He says it, three things. God wants and blesses us with grace. Now again, we're going to go through each of these words because we use them in church land so often. Sometimes I wonder if we don't stop to think about what they mean and really are re-impacted by what they mean. Grace. What is grace? As one movie said, well, she died last Christmas. No. (laughs) Grace is the undeserved, unmerited favor of God. Grace says God's going to look at you with favor instead of condemnation. God's going to look at you like he looks at his beloved son rather than as the guilty sinner that you are. Grace is, means that God is going to continue to look at you that way when you mess up this afternoon and sin. Even if it's big. Do you remember that that's what God wants for you? Because when we, Christians who should know better, sin, you want to know the last thing that comes, one of the, oftentimes the last thing that comes to our mind is the grace of God. And we do it for so-called holy reasons too because we think, okay, I blew it again. I know your word says you're God of grace. But I can't go there because that would be presuming upon your grace. It's no way to live. God says, My grace is sufficient for you, so come to me. You blow it, come right to me. That's what we want our kids to do if they do something wrong. What do we want them to do? We want them to go hide? No. We want them to come to us and tell us what happened, even if we have to discipline them. Grace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. It's a blessing. And it's actually because God gives us grace that we can live out what he's going to tell us in the rest of the letter. That we don't have to do these things in order to get grace. (laughs) If we had to do something to get grace, it wouldn't be grace. Secondly, God blesses with mercy. Now, he doesn't include that in many of his letters, mercy. But he does here. You want to know why? (laughs) Timothy is not Paul. Paul, we get this picture, and it's somewhat skewed, but we get this picture because he's written so many books of the Bible, and we have, have this envision of like, okay, he was a persecutor of the church, and he became this amazing apostle who evangelized a whole Roman, almost the entire Roman Empire, and confronted Peter, the apostle Peter, to his face because he tried to eat with Jews when he was supposed to be eating with, with everybody. We get this picture that Paul is like this 
He'll tell you it like it is. He'll get in your face, and he'll love you hard. We don't get that picture of Timothy. We get a picture of Timothy who is much more timid. And Paul will even say, like, you need to, you need to, you need to drink some, you need to drink some wine for your frequent ailments. So you might be kind of sickly. And he also says, one of the reasons he's writing this letter is to encourage him because he's in a situation where he's over his head. And if you're in church, in the church, this is the place, this is the body. That might be the messiest place on the face of the planet. For good reason. Because God Almighty is making all things new in people. People who have resisted and rebelled against him and who continue to struggle with things and who need each other to, to help, us help each other keep going. And you know what's needed in a situation like that? The mercy of God. You remember the story, the parable that Jesus told in Luke chapter 10? We call it the parable of the Good Samaritan. You remember what the Samaritan looked like? He was beat up on the side of the road by robbers. Not exactly in the pinnacle of health and a good situation and strong. And what did mercy look like for him? A Samaritan, Luke 10, verse 33, says, As he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out some money and gave it to the innkeeper saying, take care of him and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. And then Jesus asks the guy who tried to pin Jesus with, who's my neighbor? He said, which of these three, a Levite, a priest, and a Samaritan, do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? And the man responded, the one who showed him mercy. We want to be a church that when someone is struggling, that when someone has failed, that when someone is still growing. We want to be a church where we're not all over them like a pack of dogs on a three-legged cat. We want to be a church that lifts up and builds up and shows mercy and compassion just as God shows mercy and compassion. That's how he blesses people. That's how he wants to bless Timothy who's going to enter some pastoral issues that may are way over his head. And frankly, every pastoral issue is way over your is way over anybody's head because it's God's work. And we're dealing with spiritual realities which of which we are all infants and growing in. So we need mercy, and God blesses, thankfully, with mercy. 
One man said, even grace will not give peace to a man unless mercy accompany it. For man needs pardon for the past no less than strength for the future. And that brings us thirdly to God blesses with peace. <laughs> anybody, could, could anybody use less peace in their life? No, we could always say the exact opposite. I could sure use some more. For Timothy, entering as an outsider into a church to help them grow in maturity in Christ, he needs peace. The church that he's ministering to needs peace. You and I, we need peace. And what kind of peace is, is he talking about? Not just a, a good, contented feeling, although that's nice. It's really nice. But he's talking about a storm-weathering peace. One that will get you through thick and thin. One that will remind you that Christ is your hope. That will remind you that God is your Savior. And it's a peace that reminds us that we now have peace with God. And thus we can have and extend peace to one another freely instead of trying to defend our little corner of the world. The truth is the blessing of God. Grace, mercy, and peace. Not just from some, not from some wishful thinking Paul being kind to his mentee, Timothy, but from who? God the Father, who sees everything as it is and still declares grace, mercy, and peace. From God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. God does not speak to us and deliver a Trojan horse. He speaks to us right up front and he says, this is my truth for you. And he wants to overwhelm us with his goodness, with his grace, with his mercy, with his peace, with his salvation, with his hope. That changes hearts. That changes lives. Not some false bill of goods, but truth. And church, Let's have this confidence. Confidence in God's truth. For we too, by faith in Jesus Christ, by believing in him, can receive it.